Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
Hi, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. August is over. I can't believe it. It's the 25th of August. We got Jeff Rowland from Sacrilege on tonight's show. We're going to get to Jeff right now because it's getting late over in England, and uh, we don't want to keep him up any later than he has to be. But right there, Liege Lord, Rage of Angels, one of my top ten records, Freedom Rise, Andy Michon, one of those great classic power metal vocalists back in the day. I wish he would do something again, but I think he's been out of the business for many, many decades now. All right, let's hook up with Jeff. We'll get this interview going, and we'll get back to the music right after this. So bear with me one minute while we connect them. We got lucky last week. We connected with the guys in Black Man 1, 2, 3 on Skype. Let's see for lucky two weeks in a row. Mike? Jeff, how are you, my friend? It's been a long time. It's been a very, very long time, Mike. Good to hear from you, mate. Um, you too. Yeah, great. Um, wonderful here. We're, it's a holiday weekend in the UK, and the sun has been shining. It's been very warm, and we've gone to the beach. And as a regular visitor to the UK, you will appreciate how rare it is that we get decent weather on a holiday weekend. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you got really lucky, but that's good because, you know, having nice weather is always a good thing. Oh, absolutely. It's given us a chance to, uh, you know, as I say, relax, go to the beach and uh, have a bit of fun as well as sit in traffic, of course. But there you go. <laughs> it sort of goes with the territory, really, particularly over here. Absolutely. It but, doesn't uh, matter where you live. You always have to deal with traffic. True, true enough, and I, I think you were also due some uh, nice weather in New York this last week, weren't you? Yeah, beautiful weather, beautiful weather. Nice and cool, I mean warm, but nice and cool. You know, no beach weather, but just nice and comfortable weather. The seasons are starting to change over here. Oh, yeah, and here um, there's certainly a little bit of an edge. It's what we term in the UK an Indian summer where we get some warm weather late on. But there you go. You're talking to a Brit, and immediately we just start off with the weather. It's, it's, as you know, it's the British obsession, and we probably have the most benign weather in the whole world. You get, you, you get more than a slight breeze here, and all the newspapers are in uproar that the, you know, it's total meltdown and, and none of the railways work and anything. You know. I so, know. Uh, so quite how us Brits are so obsessed with weather, I, I, I've never really fathomed out. But we are. It's what makes us British, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I was so upset that last year when my wife and I were there, I wasn't able to hook up with you. We were both around the same area in London during that day, but we had, we had tickets to a show, we had plans, and then we left for a cruise the next day, so we didn't have a lot of time. But I'll be back there this October, but we only have like one full day there because we're leaving out of Southampton again for another cruise, but we only stood one day, but oh, next year we will be there wow. longer. Oh, that'd be, that'd be great. Actually, funnily enough, Southampton's not far from me, but yeah, I want, I, I want to meet up, I want to meet up with you and the Black Mane guys for a beer. That ah, like that'll be a laugh. Definitely. Well, <laughs> well, next year we're coming in for a week and we're just going to be, you know, bouncing around England for a week. So there's, we'll have plenty of time to hook up with everybody. Love, love to. Absolutely love to. It'll be, it'll be awesome to uh, meet up with you both finally. Uh, it'll happen next year, I promise, Jeff. But more importantly, you guys did it again. Not that you haven't done it before in the past, but you put out another masterpiece of a record with The Court of the Insane. I mean, you guys just seem to be going on fire with every album. 
that's uh, really kind of you, Mike. Thank you ever so much. Yeah, we're um, really, really pleased with the way this album's turned out. It um, hasn't been without its challenges, that's for sure. Hence the fact, you know, going back to what you said right at the start there, it's been a long time coming. So four years since uh, 666. Um, uh, but yeah, we're we're very very pleased with the result. Um, we've had some great reviews, and and just as importantly to us, those people who've been following us the last few years seem to love it also. So um, you know, we're really grateful for the reaction it's got. Oh man, it is such a solid album, and you've been with the band since they kind of went since Bill kind of put it back together. I guess around 2012-13, and you've been on the last few records. I mean, you know, a lot of bands that have been around for a long time, they don't seem to be interested in new music anymore. They're like, well, you know what? We'll go out. We'll play the hits. We'll play the old albums. We don't want to do new music. Do you feel it's important for any band, no matter what the legacy is, to keep putting out new music? Um, absolutely. Why, why wouldn't you? I mean, it's what interests you as a musician, um, and while there'll always be for any band that legacy of of their 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 old material, you still you know have something new to say, something new to write. I mean, you've only got to you've only got to look at Motorhead. The last you know last few albums they made, I felt were were really really cracking, and it was it was always you know. Um, great for me as a huge Motorhead fan to hear new material from them, and and we're the same. I mean, we've been really lucky because of the delay in in the new album. So many people have been saying, "Oh, when's the new material coming out?" So people are, are genuinely been looking forward to it. So yeah, it just just sort of really inspires you to to go ahead, deal with new material, and and deliver it to your fans. True, and you know I, I'm a fan of the band going back to the early days. But when you think about it, back when Sack was first formed, I mean they only had a couple of demo tapes out, so they were really under the radar and not you know well known outside of, you know the new wave of British heavy metal scene. But after getting back together, that's when all the new albums and the new material started coming out, and you've been a part of that. And this is a sacrilege that most people know. Yes, indeed. I, I, I think so. You're absolutely right, Mike. Um, it goes back to something I've heard you mention um, before, more generally in terms of, you know, the reach of, um, you know, through the Internet, now how how bands can get material out access people how people can access bands in ways that just weren't possible you know back in the early 80s very true it's a humble um, world yes it is so what that means is um you know people are now able to access us see live stuff as well you know no matter um where they are. I mean, we've we've played places in the past that have live streamed gigs and so on, um, and we've had reaction to that from all over the world. And it's it's you know it's it's really great. So you're right. I think that's where people know us from because they see reviews, they hear us talking to people like your good self, and it's just excellent, you know, to to get that reaction from all over the place. 
It is. It's a great thing. You know, I was very upset when I heard that you were leaving the band a while back. I know you had an accident. Things were probably difficult back then. I'm glad that whatever happened, you were able to stick with it, you know, and, and put this album out. That made me real happy. Thank you. I mean, the album was already recorded. Basically, we did Father Solo. So the, the, the album was pretty much in the can last year then um, yeah the accident was literally two days before Christmas coming home from a gig um, and there were issues around that which meant logistically I couldn't continue but thanks to um, us having recruited Paul McNamara on guitar who actually lives in the same part of the country I do um, meant that those sort of issues over travel um, Paul's able to take care of and I'm immensely grateful to him so it meant I was able to rejoin um, uh, which I was obviously really delighted to do you know I'm glad and yeah people know Paul from Salem played with the band for, for forever uh, he's with you guys now how's that working out I mean you know a, a well-known guitar player joining the band alongside Bill I mean it, it has a sound yeah um, it sounds amazing um, they did some gigs um, without me while well, I was still taking a sort of bit of hiatus from the band early in the year around springtime in Germany, um, and they went really well. So my first um, my first time playing with Paul, we were in rehearsal studio over last weekend, and he's absolutely the right guitarist at the right time. His style so works with the material on this album, it's its just absolutely perfect for me. And as you say, he's a guy who comes with deservedly a really top-draw reputation. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you guys were just rehearsing recently. I mean, everybody in the band is probably all over the place, so it's probably not where you can get together on a weekly basis to rehearse. So I guess when you do, you make the most of it. And I guess at this point in time, you probably don't really need a lot of rehearsal. Um, well, as I say, this this has been sort of my first time back with the guys since February, I think. I played my supposed farewell gig. I have to be a bit careful. I'm going to end up doing more comebacks than Frank Sinatra. At this <laughs> but, um, yeah. Uh, but, so, yeah, there was, there was that. Also, the other side of this, as you'll have noted, Mike, there's a lot more keyboards on this album than has previously been the case with the band, although you know keyboards are featured on several tracks. So um, we're, we're working those into our live set. So it's also a chance to make sure we get that right, how in particular Paul's going to work playing, playing the guitar parts while Bill's playing keyboards. Um, and it's come together really well, really quickly. Um, so it's great. You know, is the band? I like you said. There are quite a bit of keyboards on this record compared to the albums in the past. Is is the band always open and willing to experiment and try new things out? I think so. Providing it, providing it works, really. Um, I mean, stuff like keyboards has always been a feature, but we've never we've tried to replicate that life in the past, and it's never really we've never really technically been able to make that work. Now we can. Um, it's just a matter of um, what works for us as a band and what works with the material, you know, um, in terms of how far we might 
experiment. I mean, we've basically, I, I think, got a pretty traditional sound. So um, it would have to be, I think, within the context of what we did. But um, yeah, why not? You know, why not experiment a bit? Yeah. What I love about the new record is there's quite a few songs that pop out at around, you know, almost seven minutes. And I love when there's a lengthy song and the band can really get into it and there's a, you know, and there's a groove going. And you did that on quite, you know, like Unhinged Mind is pretty long, No Bequeath. Uh, I think The Court of the Insane is a pretty long one. I like that compared to like those quick three minute songs. Yeah, it's um, it's nice to um, break them up. I mean, when people come and see us live, they, you know, we break them up between longer and shorter songs. But yeah, certainly, I think the different passages within them have a great deal of dynamism to them, um, and it's it's nice as a musician to be able to sort of stretch yourself in that way. You know, have a song that goes through a number of phases. Absolutely. I mean, you know, talking about your hometown and, and playing out around England and in London, is there enough of a scene today to keep the band busy or active, or do you have to look to go outside to play more shows, or especially try to get on some of those larger festivals that are happening all over all over Europe, mostly? Um, yeah, it's definitely the goal. Um, again, going back, you know, um, I heard the interview you did with Paul and Zach last week, and um, yeah, um, so much of what they were saying um, could be us and could be a host of other bands on the circuit. Um, so, yeah, Europe, as I mentioned earlier, the lads um, did Germany in the spring. That went really well. Holland and Belgium for us again um, in October. And then, yeah, certainly Europe again. But the festival circuit, absolutely, it's that. It's that place where you get a lot of people congregating and you can reach a lot of people very easily. And, you know, they pick up, they pick up those fans who, that, who don't necessarily go to clubs all the time, but will go to the, will go to the festivals. So it's something, yeah, um, our manager Vale is working very hard uh, at the moment on getting us on those. Yeah. I mean, I think they're great for bands because they can reach that, you know, large audience where you have a lot of diehard rabbit fans that are there that just really there for the music. But I mean, it's, it's, it's still very important to have a vibrant club or a pub scene, you know, cause you still have to play. You just not festivals all the time. And do you see it getting harder and harder to get people into the clubs or into the bars to, for the shows? Absolutely. Um, it, Venues here are closing, just from what I see on social media, rock venues, at the rate of probably around two a month. Wow. And there's a, and there's a variety of reasons for that. Um, some are because um, there are only lodgers in locations, and the people who own it, it gets turned over to housing or whatever. Um, others are simply dying through um, a lack of um, sort of people actually just turning up. Um, I went to my local venue Friday night. There's a band who are, are getting quite a name for themselves on the sort of what we term over here, the new wave of classic rock circuit. Yeah. And yet really, really poor crowd. 
Um, so, yeah, it's an absolute concern, um, not just for us as a band, but again, all all the other bands we see sort of doing the same circuit as us, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Sacklage, you know, they're a name brand. You guys have a name, you have a reputation that's been known for decades. So, I mean, that kind of could work in your favor. But like you say, there are a lot of new bands, younger bands coming up through the scene that are never going to be able to get the kind of exposure that they need if people don't come to these shows and show up. No, um, quite. And it's, you know, I obviously feel for the band's concerns, but I, I feel for the people who are rock fans who aren't doing this. You know, the number of times I'm out at gigs, either ones we're playing or going to clubs or whatever, and come home with a CD and a T-shirt of someone I never even heard before that night and have absolutely blown me away. Um, you know, I think it's a real shame for fans that they're not just getting out, getting out, having a few beers with their mates at their local club and just having a great time and seeing some great music. I couldn't agree with you anymore. I mean, we have the same problem here. And I think it's, uh, it's something going on all over the world, you know, not just where we both come from. I mean, it's just like people are living too much through the Internet today and not going out there and experiencing that live show. I want to see that band up on stage playing those songs live, and that's something that's, I think, really missing. Yeah, um, un- undoubtedly. Um, I-, I was saying to someone the other day, I, I cannot, unfortunately... I cannot conceive of the circumstances whereby we're going to see another Iron Maiden from this country. I can't see how anyone is going to get in the position to make it big because there's just not the grounding there for banks to be able to work their way up through the circuit. And it's a real shame, and I know a lot of promoters who are working tremendously hard at this as well as bands themselves um, you know there's, there's no finger pointing at anyone in any of this it just seems to be as you say it's just the way of the modern age I think yeah do you think as people they don't want to go to a club to see original music even if the band is known and they have a reputation I mean you're also playing out of time you know you, you play a lot of covers in that band I mean is it like night and day in the club scene where people prefer to hear the songs that they know by you know old established artists and hearing new music even though sacrilege is not new music it might be new to a lot of people in the club hearing it for the first time yes um, absolutely there's that we've got certain pockets where we're absolutely um, very well known um, the place where we're doing our album launch on Friday the Carlisle in Hastings which is a a town on the south coast um, we regard as our home from home so people will go there and see us because they know us it's great Um, I mean you mentioned my little covers band I mean just you'll know this but for anyone else listening who's not in the UK basically we've got pubs that put covers bands on and people basically go go to the pub for a drink oh, and there's a band on, isn't that nice? Whereas the club scene, the the issues really are actually more around um, tribute bands. So we're actually, we've done a a number of gigs where we're supporting tribute bands because we know they'll pull a crowd. Um, Because, as you say, 
pe- people there are actually paying decent money to go and see a band playing songs of another band they like. No, that's true. I mean, I remember the first time I heard about tribute bands, I was like, it's not just a cover band. It's like, no, they they like, you know, reenact the whole band show and they're, you know, some of them are in costumes, whatever the band may be. It's like, oh, I never like heard of that before. But then you realize it's a whole other genre onto itself besides covers and, and original bands. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, I joke sometimes that give it another 10, 15 years in this country, the only bands on the circuit will be tribute bands of other tribute bands. <laughs> because you, you'll have you'll have ACDC, you'll have people who've never seen ACDC, for, just for example, um, who have never seen them, but they'll have seen tribute bands and will go and form their own tribute band to the tribute band they've seen playing ACDC. So it's uh, yeah, it's going to get quite bizarre, I think, sort of further down the line, unless something changes and and we get that breakthrough. As you know, over here, um, being a relatively small island, so there's no real mainstream rock radio or anything like that. So it's not even as though people can sort of hear stuff by chance. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's really really difficult to change that mindset and that's so true and like what you were just saying about cover bands of tribute bands and stuff like that i mean when you think about it it's already starting to happen now when like you have foreigner i mean you know mick jones is the only original member left in the band and there have been a lot of shows where he hasn't even been a part of it and other guys have stepped in and little by little like all the original members are disappearing and guys who were never in the band either in the prime or during the heyday are, are running the band now and that's, I think, what's going to happen. You're going to have bands that are going to go, famous bands that are going to go on and on with no original members, but playing as they were the original band. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's going to end up a bit like The Temptations, isn't it? Where there's about yeah. 40 different versions of The Temptations <laughs> playing around the States at any given time. Um, yeah, and some of them name bands. I mean, like it or not, and I'll keep my own counsel on this, but a band like Tank, for instance, yeah. um, none of the members who played on the first three albums, um, Mick Tucker came in for the fourth one, and they've just re-released an album. Oh, they they just released an album where they've basically covered songs largely from those first three albums because people were saying, "Oh, we want to hear those." Well, actually, none of those guys ever played on them. That's true. It was only Algie Ward back then, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Algie and and the two Brad's brothers. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it's yeah, it's it's very difficult. I think. I mean, you can take a look at various things. I mean, you look at again. I mentioned Motorhead earlier. I mean, obviously Lemmy was was the constant in that. Um, I had heard the old rumor surfacing a while ago that. There might be a Motorhead revival without him, but I mean, that surely can't happen. And I think Phil Campbell actually um, said that wouldn't happen. So, um, but yeah, you're right. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think, keeping some integrity about what you do. You know, going back to the tank thing, I know a lot of people who are big fans in the early days, myself included, were uh, just like, Okay, well, you're a decent band in your own right. Do your own thing. You know, they're writing material, so 
write it under a different name. I agree with you 100%, but I got a feeling the next time we talk, there's going to be a Motorhead revival. <laughs> I think it's going to happen, oh. and, I think, and I think they're going to do it. But, like, you know, there's the band L.A. Guns. There was the Phil Lewis version of the band. There was the Tracy Guns version of the band. Now the drummer who was kicked out has it. There are three <laughs> versions of one band playing the same songs with multiple new members. It's it's like it's we I mean, Ronnie James Dio's hologram is playing, you know, on on a screen. Oh. I think about what's going on. I'm like, what the? Ha-? I mean, I know it's a cash grab. It's all about the money. For our, but I'm like, as a purist, I'm like, I don't know. I just I don't get what's going on. Uh, mate, um, I am with you 100 percent on that. I was lucky enough to uh, see Ronnie Dio. Um, play sort of I was in like the second row at Hammersmith um, there is no way on earth I would go and see a hologram Ronnie Dio um, it just cheapens the man's memory you know uh, to, to me as personal view other people I'm sure have, have loved the experience um, but yeah you're right um, you know, I, I, I just find it all, all quite bizarre, really, if I'm honest. But uh, that, that seems to be the state of things today. But again, it, I think that, to, a, to an extent, goes back to what you were saying earlier, Mike, in terms of, well, okay, so if LA Guns have split up or whatever, Phil Lewis has been in tons of bands. I used to go and watch him regularly when he would sing vocals with Bernie Tormate, for instance, followed them all around the country and stuff. Um, Really great vocalist. So why doesn't he do something else? Um, And it's partly because of that fear of stepping outside, doing something new, where you know people are going to come and see you in one of the at least three versions of L.A. Guns doing the rounds. Very true, very true. I mean, I know in the 80s, things like this could have happened where band members that left the band that weren't a part of it could go off their own because, you know, there was a scene for them to be a, a part of. It's harder to, I don't think they want to start over, and I don't think they, they have that name brand that they want to rely on, but... You know, like I said, as a purist of music, I just it just bothers me to know. When I heard that, you know, you weren't going to be with Sacrilege anymore, I was actually going to email Bill and say, can we get a hologram of Jeff to go up on stage? <laughs> I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure the hologram makers would be appalled at having to recreate something so ugly, Mike. But I thank you anyway. I, I, I think, I think they'd, have, uh, they'd have had to have, half the design team would have had to have walked out going, we can't do anything that gruesome. They'd have had to have got in people from the London Dungeon or something to be able to hologram of, of me. So, um, but it is nice to be back for sure. And it's nice to be sort of out there in front of people and doing all the usual antics. I tend to do usual disasters of things going wrong with me. <laughs> I, I, I am I am the Derek Smalls of Sacrilege. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, yeah. That's good to know. Hey, well, Jeff, I mean, with the new record out now, you know, 666 coming out a few years ago, I mean, how do you compare the two records, you know, musically? Musically, I think there's... I think I think we've moved on as a band without a doubt. I think there's a bit more depth to this record in terms of 
you know, not only the keyboards, but adding more layers as well. We also changed our recording technique. For this, where um, we did it actually, aside from um, overdubbed vocals and guitar, uh, lead guitars, we did it collectively, whereas um, previously we'd all recorded our parts separately. And I think it's, it's almost intangible, but there is a certain synergy that comes from it when you record like that. And there's a certain feel there, which I don't think you get in that more clinical atmosphere of just sort of like playing along with whatever everybody else has recorded earlier. I agree with you on that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, when I was in a band recording back in the 80s, they didn't have this technology back then. Everybody had to be there to do it. So I know there was always a lot of feedback going back and forth about the way you played something. Maybe your part was wrong or changed this. Uh, and there's a camaraderie that you have where you can interact with each other, like on the spot to maybe, you know, change something up. When you're doing it, like you said, recording individually, I, to me, I would imagine it has to be difficult because you don't get that instant feedback or that feel right away because you have to send the tracks out and someone has to listen to it and kick it back to you when maybe you're not in that moment again when you go to re-record something. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that's a really good point, and you may not even be doing it in the same location you were originally, and so on. So you're right, you're not in the moment, whereas I think this is an in-the-moment thing. Um, that said, it's not without its downsides. I also used that method to record back in the 80s. So you'll recall the thing about, okay, this is about the fifth take now we're on, this has gone well, there's 30 seconds to go. Please don't let me be the one who fouls up because everyone's going to have a real, real gut there if I do so. So you're just gritting your teeth and getting through the last 30 seconds of the track. But um, actually, once, once you relax with that again, um, yeah, it's not too bad. But it did bring back those memories where, uh, thinking, hang on, we're only, we're only in this studio for another half hour we better get this right now or else we're done for, you know? <laughs> yeah. That's funny because I ask a lot of people, I'm like, you know, back then everything was analog. We recorded on tape back then where today is pretty much all digital and Pro Tools and other systems like that. I'm like, did you like it better the old way? Because, you know, you figured they would say, yeah, because that's how we grew up recording. But they're all like, no, we like it better like this. You know, when we got to do something, we just go right to that second in the song and we start from there on. Where back then you had to rewind the tape, match everything up. It was a bigger headache, you know, but a lot of bands prefer digital today. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, without a doubt, it it makes your life easier. But there there is just something about, I know that way of recording and and the way things come together. I mean, um, ZZ Top's a classic example. They've never, despite their efforts in the last 10 years or so, they've never got back to the feel of those albums of the early 70s. There's just something about the way they recorded them that was really simple, stripped down, that has a certain magic to it. You know, I was playing one of them in the car today, going down to the beach. You know, it's just, um, and, and doing things digitally never quite recreates that, I think. But we've gone some way towards that now, as I say, with going back recording as an ensemble, and it's really worked well for us, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, Tony plays guitar on the record, right? Uh, no, um, he does some of the um, rhythm guitar. But the um, lead guitar parts are actually um, done by the chap who produced the album, Dave. 
at the studios a really gifted guitarist himself has been around a long time. It's one of the reasons why um, the album took so long to come out, actually, in that um, both Tony and we had another guy, Eddie, come in to try and finish the album, but they weren't really sort of happy with trying to do all the solos on them. So in the end, um, in the end, we, we turned to the engineer who um, volunteered very kindly to do it, and we knew what he was capable of. And I think he's, I think Dave's done a, a, a truly stellar job on this, to be fair. Oh, absolutely. And the album is out on Pure Steel Records. I think Pure Steel's put out 95% of the records in the world in the last couple of years. I mean, being <laughs> on a label, does it, does it benefit the band to have the label support instead of doing it completely on your own and financing it on your own? Um. It's a bit of swings and roundabouts to it. Um, I mean, those Pure Steel came in, as you said, for 666 um, and uh, a compilation as well as this. It's definitely opened some doors to us that we wouldn't have had opened before. Um, I, I very much doubt you and I would have spoken four years ago had it not been for Pure Steel. So I'm grateful to them for that. Um, but um, so, yeah, the other way is you, you get to control more of what you do, but um, how much reach that gets, I don't know. And there is just something nice, I think, about seeing your CD and it's got all the logo and all the right packaging and all the things that go with being with the label. Um, but I can understand both sides of that argument. I've got mates who, um, you know, do release their stuff themselves, and I can see the advantages to that as well. Just, just whatever works for you as an individual on the band, I think. I agree. Hey, Jeff, I'm going to let you go in a couple of minutes, but, you know, what does the band have planned for the rest of the year? I know you have your show coming up this week to celebrate the release of the new record. Anything else planned Ooh. after that? Um after that, yeah, um, we are playing in London, in New Cross. We've got a, a couple of shows, um, as I said earlier, over in uh, Belgium and Holland, which are really, really great grounds for us. Um, we love going over there. Uh, the people are just wonderful. Um, and then back at the Carlisle in Hastings for a little Christmas show. Um, and then we're really gearing up towards next year. Can't reveal much of our plans yet, but um, suffice to say, we're back in Europe. We'll be having a lot of fun there and drinking a load of beer. And um, you never know, hopefully we might get over to yourselves at some point, you know, before we all uh, decide we're all far too old for this. And we'll be, we'll be coming on stage in wheelchairs soon, I think it'll be great. <laughs> well, I hope I get to see you before that point in time. But I, I know we will definitely hook up next year when my wife and I come to London. Uh, we'll meet up wherever you are, and we'll hang out for a day, and uh, we'll have a good time. I really look forward to that, Mike. And on behalf of all the band, I just want to thank you for the support you've, you've given to us, both with the last album, and I know you've been playing us a lot on your shows from the new album and and we genuinely appreciate that mate trust me there'll be a beer waiting for you when i see you 
Uh, my pleasure. Take care, buddy. It's good talking to you, Jeff. I'll see you real soon. And you, mate. Take it easy. Take care, my friend. Cheers, mate. All right. Jeff Rowland, let's get on some sacrilege. I can hear silence.
Another brand new Sacrilege tune, Lies. Pick up the record. They did a great job on this one. The Court of the Insane, Pure Steel Records. Jeff is a great guy, and it was a pleasure talking to him today and catching up. My wife and I have been going to London like every year, like, you know, for the last four or five years now. And when we were there this past year, actually it was, uh, I guess it was last year in the spring we were there. Jeff saw that I was there, but we had tickets to a show on the West End. And he just happened to be in the same area. And it bothered me that I couldn't meet up with him, but we had the show. And then right after this, we were going to some tattoo parlor. Uh, I don't remember where it was. Uh, it was maybe 45 minutes to an hour away from where we were. Uh, because Rob Halford from Judas Priest was there. It was some sort of like uh, art thing or clothing line thing for this tattoo place. And he was there and I had press passes to go. So my wife kind of ran over there. You know, and I feel bad that I get to meet up with Jeff. But we will make that happen the next time we're in England, I promise. All right, we have no other guests tonight. So we're just going to play some music for the next hour or so, wrap it up. There's no show next week because like the bank holiday in England this weekend, next weekend is ours. It's Labor Day. We have a three-day weekend, no work on Monday, so we're taking the weekend off. But we are back in September, and we celebrate our 11th anniversary this September. It's hard to believe that we got this thing going almost 11 years ago. But when we do come back on the 8th, our good friend Lou DiBello, who's been on the show before, has a new record out. We'll be talking to him. And Kurt Phillips from Witch Killer. We got a great show next time on the air, and we got a killer lineup for the month of September. We're going old school again. And they're going to stack it up with a lot of great 80s artists. All right. How about we jump into some brand new destruction right now? I only had a chance to go through some of the record. I haven't had a time to sit down and go through the whole thing. I think tonight on my way to work, I go to work after the show. Uh, I'm going to try to get through the entire record right now. It's called Born the Parish. Let me know what you think of it. And then we got a lot to talk about after we play the next couple of songs. But we'll start with that. And we'll follow it up with a few more. Here you go. We Breed Evil.
Jack Panzer with Iron Shadows. I was saying earlier in the show, we opened up with Rage of Angels from the Freedom Rise record, and I said that that was one of my top ten all-time favorite albums. I'll put it up there amongst anything else. And, you know, I feel the same way about the Jack Panzer EP and Ample Destruction. They're both kind of neck and neck with me. You know, I guess I kind of go with EP because it was the first thing I bought by the band. Uh, I remember, I want to say it was like maybe 2010 or 11. It was the Defenders of Old Festival. It was the, the second one. Uh, I believe it was in Baltimore, and the band Tyrant had flown into New York City, and they were going to drive to Baltimore, and they were doing a show here with uh, with King Sally's band, October 31, uh, some little place in the in, in the city, some small club. Uh, I don't remember what the hell it was. I don't think it's there anymore. But I went to go meet the band, you know, because I had Greg May on the show not long before that, so I took the band for a ride. I had a small PT cruiser, and if you ever seen Tyrant. You know, three to four guys were pretty big guys. We all still five of us in my small car. I took them for a little tour of the city down to the Trade Center, you know, the Ground Zero and everything else. And all they did was rip apart, you know, Harry Conklin, the tyrant. I think they really meant more of Jack Panzer, like for when Jack Panzer was called Tyrant, uh, before they changed the name to Jack Panzer. They got this thing about other bands being named Tyrant, you know, like they were the first ones. But there were a lot of bands named Tyrant. They came out around the same time or before them. Maybe nobody knew back then, uh, but there were. I mean, St. Vitus was Tyrant. 
I mean, the time from California, the problem is that they've been around, they, they say they've been around since 78, 79, but nothing really got going with those guys until like around 82, when it really became like a metal band and things kind of took off from there. But St. Vice used to be called Tyrant, and they were around the 78, they were from California also. So, I mean, you know, it was just, it was a common name for rock and metal bands back in the day, you know. And now, you know, the Tyrant from California Power Band, I think they're more of a doom metal band now, at least they keep saying that they are. So we'll have to see when the new record comes out. Just a little useless information for you over there. All right, the other day I was driving to work, and I tend not to listen to Eddie Trunk because he just annoys the hell out of me with all his self-promotion. I mean, I used to love the show. When he was on here in New York on WNEW, which was, I think, 102.3 here in New York City, it was at the end of their lifespan. Like, they were getting ready to go off the air. He had a show called Friday Night Rocks, which he calls this show on uh, radio now. Uh, But back then, that radio station was kind of – over and done with. I mean, they were just getting ready to be taken over or, or go off the air or whatever. So they kind of let him do it. He would come on maybe nine, ten o'clock on a Friday night and he would go eight, nine hours sometimes with that show. And it was great because he wasn't pretentious back then. It was all about the music, the great music from the 80s. That's all he played. Then they gave him a Saturday night slot also because they just had time to fill that nobody on the air. I remember I used to call up to his show. Like every October, he would have like a Halloween show here in New York City. And I would call up and I would get tickets every year. You know, then he got, you know, the, the station finally went off the air. He went to Q104, which was a bigger station, a rock station here in New York, and the show kind of took off after that because he had more exposure doing it where he was doing it that way. But he came very pretentious and very self centered. It was all about me, me, me. It wasn't about the music anymore. It wasn't about the bands or about the service. It was about him and self promotion. I just couldn't take it anymore, so I stopped listening to the show. But I was going into work Monday or Tuesday. I think he has a show on Sirius right now. And I heard somebody talking about, like, you know, eight, I, I didn't realize it was even his show until I heard him talking. But they were saying, you know, you know, I, I love the 80s music. I love that 80s sound, that great power metal sound, that classic traditional heavy metal sound. And the guy was asking, goes, you know, are there any bands today that are playing traditional heavy metal like they did back in the 80s? Any new bands? And he had no clue. He was like, uh, I really don't know. I don't know if there's any bands like that playing today. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Do you have the new wave of traditional heavy metal? I mean, you're a metalhead who's on the air today. I mean, and he does focus on a lot of the, I want to say the newer bands, but they've been around probably for 15 or 20 years. But he's more focused on, on Godsmack and Disturbed and shit like that today than these classic bands that are playing classic music, these newer bands. And he couldn't name one band. And the guy's like, oh, okay, I guess there is now. I'm like, no, you're, first off, that guy's an idiot if you even ask him. Why can't you just go into the internet and Google anything and you'll get the answer for it? It might be 100% right, but you'll find something. Why are you asking that? And he doesn't know. How does a DJ whose whole life revolves around the metal scene and promote metal not know of any new bands playing you know, the classic sound in 80s metal? And he goes, oh, well, you know, if I hang up, I'll probably think of at least one or two bands and I'll, it'll be totally the same thing. I'm like, you should know right off the bat. If somebody answered that question when I was on the air, I could rattle off a half a dozen bands' names right off the bat. I mean, come on, there's Leatherbitch, Striker, Air Ray, Savage Master, Night Demon. That's Iman's favorite band. Enforcer, Eternal Champion, Heist. There's so many bands you can name. It's not even funny. And he couldn't name one band. And this is the guy that people praise as being the savior of heavy metal. You know, get the hell out of here. That just irritated me when he couldn't come up with the answer for one fucking band. He could at least went on the internet and Googled the band while he was talking to the guy. He got the name of one band. He didn't even do that. He's so clueless as to what's going on in metal today. If it isn't Iron Maiden or Judas Priest or Van Halen or one of the big bands like ACDC or Guns N' Roses or one of the bands that all of a sudden he's in love with now, like, like I said before, Disturbed and Godsmack and Slipknot, who he talks about in interviews, he has no fucking clue what's going on. None at all. I tell you, it's a real shame. All right. 
What'd you think about the new destruction song, We Breed Evil? You can't ask me, can you? Because I can't hear you. I'm on the air. But you let me know what you think about it later on. How about we get to some more new music? Grim Reaper. They're right here in the USA right now. They kicked off the tour a few nights ago in New Jersey. They're not here for long. I think they're here for about two weeks. They got shows, then they're coming back again. Uh, I believe we're going to have Steve uh, Grimm on the show uh, next month. They're trying to set that up now while he's here in the States. They'll probably be pre-recorded because uh, it's easier to do it that way while he's out touring before he goes back home. But we're going to try to make that happen in September. But uh, here's some brand new Grim Reaper. Line them up.
Harris, Battle Cry. I don't know what's going on with those guys. We had Vic Hicks on the show probably 10 years ago, and they were talking about recording the new record back then. So it's been about 10 years, and nothing's come out. We haven't heard anything from the I, I think maybe two years ago, I saw that they want to show with Night Demon, my favorite band. That's the second time they popped up the tonight's show. Uh, that was the last I've heard or seen about them. So I don't know really what's going on. I mean, you know, life gets in the way with some bands. You know, personal things happen, and they can't get things going. But nine to ten years, that's a long time to wait to put out a record. You know, things change real fast. Heavy Metal could have came and gone and came back again in that time frame. So I, re- I don't know what's happening with Shock Paris. Maybe I'll reach out to Vic, see if that album's still coming out, and if the band is still active, and maybe get them back on the show one day. Before that, Wasted, Woman in Chains. You got to love it when they put women in chains, right? I know the liberals don't want to hear that today, but I don't really care. It was a great album. Vice is when it came out. It's still great today. P-Way has a solo band, the P-Way band. It's actually out on tour right now. They've been out, I think, since June, and they they wrap up sometime in September, I believe. And I think next year is actually going to make it to the USA. I don't know if that's really going to happen or not. It tried it a few times, a UFO, and it kind of got denied. So hopefully he will make it here. I would love to see Pete Way up on stage again. It would be fantastic. All right, let me see what we can do here for everybody. Like I said, there's no show next week, but we got a great September lined up for everybody. I'm still booking a few guests. We'll get that all squared away in the next week or so. Uh, we're going to wrap it up a little early tonight. We're going to start for maybe 15 more minutes because then I do have to get in the car and uh, take a nice long ride into Manhattan and go to work tonight. So let me see what I can do for everybody right now. What do we got for you? How about we get some Crossfire? See you in hell.
Phantom Lord, Jack, Stars, old band from the 80s. Everybody had crazy names in that band, if I remember. Uh, Joe Hasselvander was the drummer. On this record here, uh, this, this came out, Highway of Death came off the second record, Evil Never Sleeps, and that was John Leone on vocals. John was the second singer in Attack. He took over after they parted ways with Bob Mitchell. John had a great voice, man. He passed away in 94. Uh, I don't really don't remember why, to be honest with that. It was probably cancer. That took a lot of people out. But I know he recorded the demo with Attacker in 86, and this record came out in 86. So it might have been like in between things because the second comic came out in 1988, if I remember. Uh, and don't quote me on everything because as I get older, I forget things more and more. But I remember Joe Hasselfan went by the name Wolfgang Mezzarine Gundaman II. And even Jack Starr used a different name on the first record. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the hell it was. I should just go look it up. I don't have the time. I think it was uh, Gunther Wassel or something. <laughs> Klaus Schwartzman was uh, was Ned, Ned Maloney. Him and Jack have played together for forever. I mean, they've been together for a very long time, playing more than most married couples. All right, we're going to keep the music going here. we got about 20 minutes left in the show. I saw that Ozzy says that The Ultimate Sin is his least favorite record. He does not like the way the record came out. He blames the producer of the record because he says every song sounds the same. The producer didn't make all the songs sound the same. It was you and the people that wrote. Well, you know, Ozzy didn't write any songs. Uh, it was probably Bob Daisley and... Uh, and Jake Lee wrote most of the music back then for the band, except for Bark at the, uh, except for, I'm sorry, um, Shot in the Dark, which was written by a whole other band. But, you know, Ozzy took the credit for it with Phil Susan because it was a band that he was in at one time. But he was just a drummer in that band. I don't think it had anything to do with the writing of that song. I think we played the original version of it here a few weeks ago. But I don't know if Ozzy's heard anything he recorded after The Ultimate Sin, but I'm pretty sure there were a lot of records that were a lot worse off than The Ultimate Sin. I personally care for it when it came out myself. That was the time when hair metal was just like taking off. It was humongous. And all the classic metal bands were all trying to do something in the hair metal vein. And Ozzy was no different. You know, uh, Ronnie James Dio was sort of wearing the little flimsy clothes. And Judas Priest, you know, Rob Halford was wearing sequins also. And it was just a bad time that year. But, you know, looking back now at all the stuff Ozzy did after that, the oldest thing doesn't seem too bad in my opinion. All right, let's keep the music flowing here right now. Let me see what I have lined up for everybody. Uh, but, you know, how about we do some Broomhelda? I, this was a demo tape. It's funny. I, we used to do a demolition segment here on the show. Every Sunday I would play demo tape and then offer up the link on our blog, on our blog spot because we didn't have an actual website back then uh, with, with a download link. You could download the demo. We used to call it the demolition segment based off of the old um, the old Metal Forces magazine's demolition segment. So we played a demo. We downloaded it. So... The band was like out of New York City back in the day. They put out the one demo tape, if I remember, and nothing else. You know, it was a four-song demo tape, and a few of the guys from that band went on to form El Nino many, many years later on. But they were a really good band, Broomhelder. Just never went anywhere, and that happens with a lot of bands. So when I put the demo up, there was no logo for the band. Nothing was, there was no pictures of the band. I just had the demo for being a tape trader in New York City back in the day. So I just wrote a font up. And put it there. And now when you go to all like the web trading sites and everything, or the demo trading sites, everybody's using that logo as the band's logo, but it's not. It was just a font that I grabbed, just so I could put it up on the web page where people could see the name of the band. But I like stretching to see the little print on there. And it kind of went all over, which is kind of funny because people think it's the band's logo, but it's not. It was just a font I grabbed off of the, the font page and <laughs> put up there. But off that demo tape, here's Broomhelder, Out for the Kill. Oh, 
Ice Age, Hell and Nothing. The band finally saw a vinyl release, official release, about a year ago when that record came out. Some great demos from back in the day. A band I think Debbie Gum was actually part of for a little while, if I remember. Got to check that. Don't listen to me. And before that, Rat Attack or Strand of Hell. I remember trading for that demo back in the day and falling in love with it. They were such a great band. And when I used to do the metal matinee, we did the United States of Metal. Every month we would go to a different state and play music by bands from that state. And it was so difficult coming up with an hour's worth of music from metal bands in the 80s from Hawaii. You know, Rat Attack were one of them. And there were a few other great bands like Sacred Right, you know, and Vixen that we played. But it was hard to get a whole hour's worth. So we kind of had to combine Hawaii and Alaska together for that show <laughs> to make up the full hour. I think I have the contact info for one of the members of Rat Attack. Uh, so I'm going to see if I can reach out to him and maybe get him on. We have a lot of guests lined up for September. They all have been confirmed, but I think most of the interviews are going to happen. So I don't want to book anymore because it happens I overbook, and then I get burnt out from doing so many interviews on one day. So uh, I'll just wait till next week to confirm everything for the month. And if we have an open slot, uh, maybe I'll reach out to him and get him on in uh, September. We're going really old school in September, too, so that would be kind of nice. But we're going to wrap it up here today with one more song by the band Vice Human. This was definitely one of the first bands I remember hearing about coming out of Greece in the 80s. I want to say it was 83 that the band was established, and the first record came out about a year later. Uh, I'm sure there were more, but that was the first one I remember hearing about and getting into. So we're going to close it out with Heavy Metal from Vice Human. I want to thank my good mate Jeff Rollins for being on tonight's show. Pick up the brand new Sacrilege record on Pure Steel Records, The Court of the Insane. It was a great album. I know we're going to get a lot more from those guys in the future. We're off next week. Everybody have a great week. Enjoy your three-day weekend next week. And we're back here on the 8th. And we got a great show with Lou DeBello and Kurt Phillips, of which I actually think most of the band is going to be calling in. But I know it's definitely Kurt. So I'll talk to you guys in two weeks from today. Have a great one, everybody. Here's Vice Human, Heavy Metal.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.